Hello, this is Hope, and you're listening to Covert Castaway. Welcome to my weekly diary of what I learn and how I cope with transitioning to life as a liveaboard cruiser. This week, I'm so excited to have a conversation with Teresa from sailing yacht Ruby Rose. Teresa and her partner Nick have been cruising since 2014 in their Southerly 38 monohull, mostly around Europe and the Caribbean islands. I think it's so interesting to hear how other women get into sailing. For this interview, I wanted to learn more about how Teresa and Nick took their idea and made it into a plan and what it was like to make such a huge lifestyle change. Okay, so I'm I'm so excited to chat with you today, Teresa. We've been following your adventures for quite some time. And um, as I mentioned to you ahead of time, you've really inspired me in so many ways. So thanks for taking the time today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, So first things first, you guys are now back in London due to COVID and you got back in okay, I suppose. And I I think your boat's in La Rochelle. Is that right? Yeah. So the boat is in La Rochelle in France on the west coast of France. And we left the boat there last, I think it was last September. So she's been there all winter long, kind of just waiting for us to get back to her. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Nick was back on board uh, a few weeks ago and I was still in Australia. Um, and my plan was to let him kind of do a few of the jobs that he, you know, prefers to do on his own so he can do it all in his own time and make a big mess of the boat and then just, you know, be able to do that by himself. And I come back to a nice uh, clean boat that's mm-hmm. ready to go. That was a plan. And because um, I was spending a little bit of time with my family still in Australia and then, yeah, obviously everything's kind of changed. So we're back in London at the moment. Um, I, yeah, did a bit of a last minute dash to get back to London before all the flights were cancelled and the borders closed. And yeah, there was a little bit of stress kind of working out what I was going to do with my time and whether I would wait this out in Australia with my family. I would be safer there. The The pandemic or right. the Australian epidemic isn't as advanced as mm-hmm. in Europe or the US. Um, however obviously I w- wasn't with Nick. So that yeah. was the main, main issue. Yeah. Yeah. My, my husband actually was there trying to get our boat commissioned, um, in La Rochelle. That's what he oh, was right. doing. And so we took, I had to do like a grand adventure to get him back home. But he said, right. what he said was he thought he saw Nick on a bike or something like that. So yeah. as we've been yep. kind of tracking your latest videos, we can see now that that's probably what happened. Yeah. Yeah. He's been, he's been cycling. Well, he was when he was there a few weeks ago, he was cycling around and um, yeah, obviously he had to make a decision at some point, right. uh, you know, how seriously do we take this thing? Or, you know, is this really happening? Know, um, do so I really weird. need to go back to, I know, do we really need to go back to London? Cause Nick, parents are in London mm-hmm. they're you know in their 70s um they're you know a little bit well we, we were a bit concerned about how they would sure. manage all of this um and obviously London is the hot spot in the UK right so we were worried about that um so yeah we kind of ended up converging in London even though our original intention it feels like a lifetime ago but only a couple of weeks ago I we know it's just a couple of weeks ago. it seems like a I year. know <laughs> I know. Uh, Yeah, our plan was to literally be sailing right now. So, you know, I was meant to go back to the boat a week ago. Crazy times. 
So crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So part of this podcast is really helping other women understand, you know, what to expect during a transition. That's why I kind of wanted to right. share share my own, you know, ups and downs and craziness and everything and, and neurosis, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, so let's just start at the beginning. So you and Nick met, um, over 10 years ago or so on a tour you took to India, right? Right. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. We, uh, back in 2009, uh, we met on a tour in India and Nepal. So it was just a 14 day tour. So we didn't have much time together. Um, but yeah, it was long enough (laughs) to work out that, you know, we were going to, um, kind of work out a way of being together. So, and then I moved to London uh, about uh, six or seven months later. And uh, then, you know, I started sailing very soon after that. But really, my life in London was very focused on work and my social life and Nick, obviously, um, and his friends. And it was really, you know, that was a major focus. Sailing was very much Nick's hobby. It was something that I did because he loved it. It wasn't anything that I had a personal interest in or a passion for. Um, it was basically just a way of me spending time with him on the weekends because he had a three-day weekend and I only had, obviously, a two-day weekend. So he would usually go down to the boat kind of before me. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, you know, if I, had to, if I wanted to see him that day, then I would have to go down to you know, the boat as well. <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. It's sort of like my husband and I, he was into it. And then, and then I just got into it cause he was into it. Um, yeah. But did I think you... that's a lot of women's experience. Yeah. I think that I feel like that's, it's not, you know, a lot of women um, get into it at the same time as their husbands. Mm-hmm. I think it maybe also comes down to age. Like I feel like a lot of the younger couples, they kind of get into it at the same time. Right. Whereas um, couples that are maybe, you know, have been married for a long time or, you know, are nearing retirement age, that kind of thing it seems to me that often that's when you get that kind of discrepancy between the man who may be more experienced and then the woman who has just kind of been, you know, tolerating um, husband's (laughs) hobby for all these years and now suddenly having to think about actually taking that on herself as well. Yeah. And did you, you know, when I first stepped on a boat with him, um, you know, we we met after uh, we had gone through, a, a, divorce, a first divorce of, of each of us. And we kind of met, so we're kind of remarried, a remarried mm-hmm. couple. So he was sailing ahead of time. And when I stepped on the boat, I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. You know, did you take to it right away or did it take some time to sort of um, get I, to liking it? Yeah, I feel like I did take to it right away. I didn't have that passion, um, but I think maybe that was partly because of the sailing social scene. So mm-hmm. uh, Nick's um, Nick was very, and still is, um, a, a very big part of the sailing club. And um, the a lot of the sailing events on the weekends were very social. So you would sail for a little bit, but mainly it was about sitting in the pub, drinking and talking <laughs> about sailing. Uh-huh. Um, and so I feel like that was the most off-putting thing to me because I didn't feel... It was very male-dominated. Mm. Um, I was probably a solid 30 years younger than the next oldest person apart mm-hmm. from Nick, obviously. So there was a generational thing. There was a gender, you know, thing. And I just felt like I didn't have anything in common with any of Nick's friends, Nick's sailing friends. Um, and so I felt like that was the most off-putting element. It's that so true. Was really, yeah. yeah, that was really where a lot of my reticence came from. The actual sailing itself, I hadn't. I had no problem with. I didn't love it. I felt like when we were racing, which we did 
very casually like we weren't serious races but right the club would hold races they and do the rallies and stuff right exactly and when we were kind of racing and I was being given responsibility it was often just me and Nick and maybe one other person on board and I was kind of given that responsibility and I was able to like have a very specific goal you know beat mm-hmm. that boat over there you know get across the line first I felt like that was when I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more but just kind of on a weekend cruise if we were just going to anchor somewhere for the night and then do I don't know like in the UK they do what they call raft ups I don't know if you do that in the US actually but where they essentially all tie to a mooring buoy all tie up to each other's boat so you'd have three or four boats on one mooring buoy and then you would all have like essentially like a party (laughs) um it's fun but um you know and so as I said it, it was really the social aspect that really was not really my scene because I had my own friends. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I had my own friends in London and, you know, I kind of, if I was going out and having a night out, I wanted to be with my mates, not with Nick's older sailing (laughs) mates who are all men. Yeah. Like it was, yeah, that was really the main issue. Yeah, the sailing itself, yeah, Yeah. the sailing, I remember my first sail actually and um, it was really, I mean, like a lot of, uh, you know, days in in the UK, it was grey, it was quite cold, it was raining on and off. like San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was really windy and it's very tidal here. I don't know if it's um, tidal in San Francisco, but it's very tidal here. So we had like this real chop. It was kind of a window retired situation. This real chop, we were sailing into the wind as per usual. Seems like wherever, mm-hmm. you know, wh- wherever you want to go, the wind's not, you know, mm-hmm. cooperating. And um, it was quite a long day as well. And we got to the end and we had to tie up to this like weird mooring because all the moorings here are, are strange. And, um, I felt like Nick was really, Nick wasn't feeling well. You know, he was suffering from seasickness that day and he was cold and he was like clearly not loving the sailing aspect. Mm. And I just remember I had this very clear memory of him just continuously checking on me, like, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? Is everything okay? Like, you sure you're not feeling a bit sick? And I was sitting there in the cockpit for the whole time basically being like, I'm fine. Like, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> great but I'm okay like this is he was so fun, worried about I guess. you yeah he was really worried about me yeah, yeah. but I, it was fine for me yeah yeah so how did you learn to sail did you take any lessons or just by learning with Nick on the boat so I don't think Nick would mind me saying that he is not the best teacher um <laughs> so I and I didn't do any formal lessons and I kind of feel like maybe I should have done but as I said I didn't feel like it was a big part of my life. I felt like I was just kind of a passenger actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really feel motivated to take any lessons myself because I just was like, well, you know, what's the point? I can do enough. I can and, help. Um, yeah. 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 I can help out. Like I can, if Nick needs me to do something, then he'll tell me to do it. And mm-hmm. I remember kind of floating the idea with Nick a few times, oh, you know, maybe I should do like a, we call it like a competent crew course here. Mm-hmm. And he would be like, well, you could do, but then like you're spending a whole weekend on someone else's boat, like paying them to teach you. Whereas like I can, I can teach you. Mm-hmm. So it was always, and I was be like, I'd be like, yeah, that's true. Actually, you know, why would I spend my money? So mm-hmm. there was always this weird kind of like, oh, uh, maybe one day I'll do a lesson, but for now I'll just, you mm-hmm. know, kind of let Nick teach me what I need to know in the here and now. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably not the best way to learn, to be honest. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, however, that is just essentially what we ended yeah. up doing. And you've been on the boat for quite some time. So, I mean, you've had tons of time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, most of what I've learned has been through, um, just watching what 
uh, Nick and his other friends do. Mm-hmm. And also, um, you know, all those nights where I was forced to sit in the pub and listen to conversations about sailing, you know, they, <laughs> they do come in handy every now and again because yeah, that, yeah. that's where I learned as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was kind of more through observation and asking questions than any formal yeah. training or lessons. Yeah. Cool. So take me back to that moment when you guys sat down and said, okay, let's do this full time. You know, how did that come about? And how did that moment come about leading up to that decision? And then what kind of transpired in in your memory of of that conversation? Yeah, well, it's funny because I don't feel like we ever had that moment. I feel Mm -hmm. like um, we, when we met traveling, we always had that in common. So we always said to each other, we want to travel, we want to see the world, we want to have a different lifestyle. And when I moved to London very soon after meeting Nick, we had this understanding that we would live in London for five years because I said to him, I can't live in London forever. You know, my family's in Australia. I don't Mm -hmm. want to be only seeing them maybe once a year, if that, for the rest of my life because I'm living on the other side of the world. Um, so we kind of hatched this plan from the beginning that we had this like five year time frame that we we're working to, but we didn't really know what we we're going to do at the end of that five years. We kind of just thought we'd travel or we would change up our lifestyle. It was kind of, it was very vague, but we knew that we were going to do something that wasn't living and working full time. So like London. a five year time frame for some kind of sabbatical or different. Right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Some, some kind of sabbatical, some kind of adventure based sabbatical, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. And it kind of was just a natural progression of that understanding that, that, that would kind of take the form of us sailing because we were doing, we we're sailing every weekend. Nick had a boat. He had a 32 foot boat, um, a hands 32 and it was, you know, like it was, it was fine. It was actually a really lovely boat. And for a long time, we were kind of just talking about taking that boat down to the Mediterranean and just sailing around the Med. And that was the extent of our very, very, very vague plan. I wouldn't even call it a plan. It was just this like idea. An idea. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think that the real turning point where it went from like this kind of vague notion that something that we wanted to do, it went from that to something we're actually actively planning to do when we made the decision to buy the boat that we currently have. So we went to the boat show in 2011, um, the Southampton Boat Show. It's the biggest boat show in the UK. And we had been there every year. So I think this would would have been our third year going down to this boat show together. And every year, obviously, as I think everyone who goes to boat shows do, you you get on all these boats and you start dreaming and planning and you start thinking, oh, and all the salespeople there are trying to sell you the dream as well. So, you know, your imagination really starts to take off. And on this particular year, we went down, not with the express intention of buying something, but with the thought that maybe now would be a good time to buy another boat if that's what we were going to do. And we walked onto the Southerly 38, which is the boat that we ended up getting. And we just absolutely fell in love. We both fell in love with this boat. And I remember we went to the pub that evening and we sat down with a calculator and we did all the sums and we looked at each other and Nick said to me, you know what, I think we can actually afford to buy this boat. And so is this what we're doing? Like, are we actually going to go through with this? And we're like, yeah, okay, let's do it. So we went back to the broker the next day and we signed the paperwork. And then from that point on, it we're like, okay, well, we've just bought this boat we've, you know, spent quite a bit of money on this boat. We didn't, we don't need this boat, excuse me. We don't need this boat for the sailing that we're doing right now. Um, We only need this boat for 
sailing that we plan to do in the future. So, you know, that's the only purpose of buying this boat is to essentially sail around Europe and perhaps even further afield. So at that point, it really went from... You were committed. Yeah, Yeah, we were very committed. (laughs) You know, financially, (laughs) we were committed. Right. And, um, you know, this boat was much bigger um, compared to our old boat and much more set up for the type of cruising that we were kind of dreaming about. Mm -hmm. So what initial fears did you have you know, once, once you bought the boat and, and you were like, okay, we're doing this. And how did yeah. you rationalize those for yourself to get comfortable? Yeah, I don't actually remember. This is probably a failing of mine, but I, I don't really get afraid very often. I, Nick is a very, um, he's a, he, he can get quite anxious and he can get a little bit um, apprehensive about things. And he really likes to plan everything out to the nth degree like he plans out for scenarios that don't even enter my mind and so I I feel like he does all the worrying for both of us and it's kind of my role to kind of pull him back to reality and say you know what I think that we just need to you know kind of think about the most likely situation not worst case scenario so I feel like a lot of the fears were on his um like were, were coming from him and I think that they were justified because you know he obviously is the skipper and is a huge, huge responsibility. He feels that responsibility very keenly. And I think that in my ignorance, I didn't have a full appreciation of the risks that we could be facing, of, you know, the real responsibility that he would have on his shoulders for our safety, for, you know, the, the boat. Um, and and I think particularly for my safety as well, there's, there's this kind of mentality. I think that, you know, this was his kind of idea. This was his plan. He's the skipper. He's in charge, I guess. And, you know, if anything went wrong and it put our safety at risk, then he would, you know, he wouldn't be able to live with that. So I think that, yeah, I wouldn't say that I had much fear. And I think that was more out of ignorance actually than anything else. So Mm -hmm. as I said, probably a failing on my part really. No, it's, I think it's good to have a good balance. You know, I, I tend to be the worrier. And I remember when we were first started sailing, I'm like, oh, this is so fun. And, you know, you yeah. must know what you're doing. And then I started taking classes and sailing more. And I'm like, oh my God, this is really dangerous. Like someone yeah. can die, you know? Exactly. And, and the different, the difference is, is I'm the worrier and he's kind of more optimistic, which yeah. sometimes concerns me because he's also the captain. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 But, I think, I think that's, that's more often the case though. I think that my, you know, mine and Nick's dynamic is, is a little bit unusual. I think it's usually um, the woman who kind of thinks all, all, about all these. Yeah, exactly. Who worries a little bit more, who think, oh, I don't know about, I wouldn't use the word worries, but who thinks through everything. The women, us, I feel like us women tend to think through everything yeah. quite thoroughly. And, um, but no, Nick's definitely the, the yeah. well, yeah, I will say that he's the warrior. Interesting. <laughs> he does worry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you told your parents and your friends, how did they react? What was their response? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, my mother was, she was very worried. She is a warrior. I think maybe that's why I'm pretty chilled out because yeah, she's the warrior of the family. And, um, yeah, she was very concerned and I had to fend off a lot of safety related questions from her. Um, she still worries about it. And, you know, th- actually this is one reason why we decided to uh, start a YouTube channel because I was blogging before that. And, you know, when I spoke to her on the phone, I didn't feel like she was getting an appreciation of the reality, you know, of, of sailing and living on a boat and crossing oceans. And I was trying to reassure her, but also, you know, inform her. Um, 
and I just didn't feel like I was kind of getting across what I wanted to. So that was one of the motivations for starting the YouTube channel so that I could show my parents at home what it was that we were getting up to essentially. My dad, he was the opposite. He thought it was amazing. He would have jumped on board with us, you know, from day one if he could have done. Um so he was just he was just thrilled about the kind of adventure side of things. He thought it was it was great. Um and as for all my friends, you know, my sister was pretty, you know, she wasn't um too phased by it. But my friends had very different reactions depending on who I was talking to. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point actually that some of them would take an active interest and ask me about it a lot and others I felt like they didn't quite get what I was saying when I was talking about, oh, you know, next year Nick and I, we're going to be, you know, moving away, moving onto our boat, sailing around the world. I, I don't, I felt like a lot of that was kind of a, it was a weird conversation because they didn't, they didn't get what I was trying to say. They are like, oh, yeah. so like, are you coming back for Christmas or yeah. like, when are we going to see you? And they didn't get it. So I, I, at some point I stopped talking about it and I kind of would just let them come to me. And I feel like that was a bit of a strange thing to do because when I did end up actually moving onto the boat, then I feel like it came as a bit of a shock to a lot of my friends. It's because a surprise because they weren't caught up. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't talking about it a lot. And I also was very aware that, you know, Nick and I are, were very, very lucky that we could um, have this opportunity. And mm. I, I felt like I didn't want to be talking about it too much because right. it might come across as being... I don't know, like bragging or yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Kind of like casting aspersions over their lifestyle choices, like us, me saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, this isn't the life that I want." To someone who's quite happy in that life, like that's a little bit insensitive. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of just didn't really talk about it much, to be honest. It's such an interesting range of reactions, you know. Like um, same thing. It I, really is. I had a friend who was like, "I was like, okay, we're going to move on to a boat," and they're like, "Okay, so you're going to be on a boat, but where are you going to live?" No, wherever the boat is, we're going to live where the boat is. Well, where is that? You know, like they couldn't understand what that meant. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. My daughter was like, oh my God, you're going to go sailing. And like, what if the boat sinks? You know, they go to this other completely different place. And it's like, no, no, it's more like a vacation. Like you, you, it's not like we're in the middle of the ocean all the time. So, but it's hard to explain, you know, how that all Really hard to explain. And I think that was what I was coming up against. I was just finding it too hard to explain. So I just, I just wouldn't essentially, I'd tell the people who absolutely needed to know. I'd tell my, my family and my like dearest, closest friends and everyone else, I kind of just let them work it out. (laughs) That's why I started the blog to start with because I thought, well, if they're interested, they can read about it. And then, as I said, the the YouTube channel was kind of an extension of that. Yeah, it's good for family and friends. Um, So as I understand it, you sold uh, a practice or something and and a flat that you shared. Did you cut the lines completely or was it more of a, a gradual thing? Yeah, so... One of the reasons for our initial five-year kind of time frame was that Nick had, um, he was a dentist and he had his own dental practice. So he needed time to, you know, kind of get to the point where he was able to sell that practice. Um, and when we met, you know, obviously, you know, these things have to be done at the right time and it wasn't the right time for him yet. So uh, that the dental practice was sold um, obviously straight away. And then the our flat, we rented it out because we wanted, we essentially wanted to not burn our bridges behind us. Right. We hated it. We wanted to be able to move back. A backup plan. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I feel like that psychologically was really important because we didn't want to have that option cut off to us because, you know, a lot of people, they sell their, their, their house um, in order to live on their boat. 
um, either to buy the boat in the first place or to fund right. you know, the, the lifestyle afterwards or whatever. Um, and we try, I know that for some people that's just the way it has to be, but right. I feel like if at all possible you should hold on to, if you own your own house, you should hold on to it because A, you can rent it out and can have a little bit of income, but B, more importantly, almost psychologically, I feel like it's so it puts so much pressure on you to enjoy the lifestyle if you don't have any other option. And mm-hmm. I feel like that is really, um, yeah, that, that can be quite dangerous. Yeah, exactly. We, we were initially um, going to sell our house not to pay for the sailing trip so much as just to not have other commitments to worry about, right? You know, like not yeah. worry about renting it and not all the stuff. And emotionally, I just couldn't get past that either. It was like, I need, we needed yes. some, some place. And so we got a little uh, place that we're going to turn into a vacation rental. But, um, you know, I remember saying to myself at the time, okay, you know, if, if everything in the world goes to hell, like at least we'll have the ability to, you know, live here and be happy or whatever. And now even exactly. given this current situation, it's like, wow, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> no one could have so is that. Is that where you are right now? Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that where you are? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we got a little spot. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we got a little spot up in Tahoe. So um, we're in like Tahoe, but. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so, but no one could have imagined, you know, these things that you just don't even think about happening or, or maybe your parents get sick or, you know, my parents get sick or something and you want to at least be close or, you know, my daughter at some point is going to get married, you know, and you want to kind of come back for that or whatever. So I do think emotionally it's helpful. Yeah. Um, I agree. I agree. Even if it's just to like, hold on to that, if if it's your home already, mm -hmm. um, I feel like even just hold on to it like a year, but at least your first year, like if you think to yourself, you know what, financially, we really do need to release this equity, then try and hold out for a year just so that you know when you do sell it that you are comfortable and settled in your lifestyle first and not mm-hmm. hoping that you are going to settle in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a bit. Um, but before we do, you know, to the degree that you're comfortable, I want to talk about the financial planning part of it. Um, when we sure. get this initial idea of changing our lifestyle, we were like, oh my God, how are we ever going to be able to afford this? And it's such a huge divergence from, you know, what you're sort of planning for your whole life on a more traditional path, right? You know, um, for years and years, you're like, oh, I should be doing this and I should be saving for that and I should be investing in in the stock market this way or whatever. And Mm -hmm. some people want sort of a rock solid financial strategy and other people kind of throw it all to the wind and just say, okay, we're going to just figure it out as we go along. Um, How did you guys think about that? And how did you kind of come to terms with, you know, the, the financial path that was right for you? Yeah, well, that was a really difficult, um, obviously, decision. And I think that the, the turning point, as I said earlier for us, was when we decided to buy the boat that we currently have mm-hmm. because that was quite a large investment. And we could have, I mean, the boat that we bought was is 38 foot and we could have bought a much bigger boat for the same amount, but we bought a really high quality boat. Mm-hmm. Um, we decided not to buy a production boat. We, you know, went for mm-hmm. a really well-built um, vessel and I'm glad, I'm very, very glad that we did. But my point is that we kind of committed ourselves financially several years out from actually leaving. Mm-hmm. Um And we really did have to sell Nick's business in order to pay for the boat Mm -hmm. um, because we took out a a marine mortgage. Um, So we didn't obviously want that hanging over our heads when Mm -hmm. we sailed off. So um, when Nick sold his dental practice, we were able to pay off the boat. We also had some savings from that. Um, And then on top of that, and this is why I said before, we didn't want one reason why we didn't want to sell the flat is because we knew that that would give us 
some monthly income and it might not be very much, but at least it was something coming in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we kind of just figured out that if we stuck to a fairly uh, modest monthly budget, then um, we sh- and you know try not to touch our savings too much, or at least mm-hmm. only for those like really big expenses that you know do inevitably come up every now and again. Then we should be able to continue on for some time. And having not sold that flat behind us, that was always an option for us. We could come back to the flat at least we would have a house or mm-hmm. a, prop- a home. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of our strategy. Um, you know, at some point, I guess we had to make the decision, you know, do we leave now in a smaller boat with less kind of monthly income um, and less savings or do we work for another five years, 10 years, 15 years, however long? And, you know, at what point do you have enough to, right, to exactly. do what you want to do? So I guess we, as I said, we gave ourselves from the point where we bought the boat, um, I think it was about three years, three and a half years between buying the boat and actually sailing off. And so we had we had a little bit of a, you know, buffer there to really set ourselves up and to save up, you know, to save hard, I guess like everyone does, and to kind of, yeah, just do the maths a few times and make sure that we um, we had all of our sums done correctly. But, yeah, it was a scary moment. I'm not going to lie. It was it was not um, financially. We could have been a lot more secure if we'd stayed, up, stayed in our jobs in London, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the economic insecurity part for me was really hard to get over. Um, and it's just part of my character defect. You know, I just worry about that right. stuff. And, you know, to your point, you know, how much is enough? It's like... I asked my grandmother once, you know, when, when are you ready to have kids? And she said, oh, you're never ready. You just have to do it. I kind of feel like sailing mm. the same way. Like yeah. you're going to have enough money to, <laughs> anyway because it's a boat, but you have well, to Well, just- I feel like that's the same with all lifestyle choices. You know, right. you, you can always do with a little bit more money. Like even people who are very wealthy feel that they could do with right. a little bit more money. So I feel like at some point you have to just, I, I don't know, take a bit of a leap of faith, I guess, and just say to yourself, you know what, I'm I've done my research. I feel fairly comfortable that we can live on this amount. And if we can't, worst case scenario, I guess we'll have to, you know, rethink our strategy, look at other ways of earning some money. And, you know, if worse comes to worse, at least we still have the flat in London that we can come back to and we can, you know, go back to work. Exactly. Um, Some women talk a lot about the internal conflict of giving up a career and what that's like. Um, I certainly have had those discussions with myself. Did you experience that or was it a pretty easy thing to shift away from? Well, it was actually quite difficult because I, um, when Nick and I bought the boat, uh, I was, mm, I think I was about 25. So I kind of, I was in that age, I guess, where my career hadn't really advanced very much, but it was, I was at that age where I was starting to think about, you know, where my career could take me. And because I knew that in three years time or so, I would be leaving London and getting on a boat and sailing away. I really did have to, it did cause me quite a bit of anxiety, either choosing not to apply for promotions or, Mm Um, you know, whether I, I actually left my job about a year later um, and that was a really difficult decision for me. I went into a different position and just that change of, of job was really, you know, it did stress me out quite a lot because I didn't know whether that was the right decision. You know, I would be leaving soon anyway. You know, it, it was, I found it really difficult. Um, yeah. That was something that I found really difficult. And the fact that I had essentially put my career 
on ice because mm-hmm. I knew that I was going to, I didn't feel like I, I could take a promotion or apply for promotion. Or bigger responsibilities that, or whatever. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Knowing that 12 months later I would be leaving. Like I, I was too loyal to my employer to do that. I, w- I was very yeah. lucky that I had, you know, a really um, great employer and that I love my my job and, you know, all my colleagues. I, I didn't feel like I could do that. Um, and I didn't want to keep it a secret. I, you know, I wanted to let them know well in advance that I was yeah. going to leave. So, yeah, I did find it really difficult. So um, I was a paramedic um, and then I had uh, kind of other jobs in the health sector that weren't actually clinical. Um, and then when we left, as in when Nick and I sailed away, moved onto the boat and sailed off, at that point I was like, okay, so I'm 20, I guess I was like 28, 29. I, I did feel a bit lost because I thought, well, I'm at that point in my life where I feel like I'm very ready to kind of advance my career, but I've literally just burned that bridge behind me because you know I can't go back to that work I if if you're out of work as a paramedic for over 12 months then your registration is lapsed and that's it you, you can't really go mm. back to it without extra training so I kind of knew that that chapter was behind me and I didn't really see clearly a path forward for forging a career on the water um so yeah that did stress me out a bit um that was something that it was funny because, you know, when I started the YouTube channel, it wasn't actually based on, on, uh, I, I didn't consider it to be work at all. That was, it was very much a hobby. It was just it was fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just fun. It was just like a creative outlet. As I said, there were a few different motivations for it, but one was, um, to keep my friends and family kind of informed about mm-hmm. what we're doing. And yeah, as I said, one was also a creative outlet and it was, it was very much a hobby. And then obviously, you know, as we've grown as a channel, it's it's very much transitioned from a hobby into a business, and now it's definitely you know, <laughs> a lot yeah, of yeah, absolutely. And now you know, strangely enough, it, it's it you know, it's the case that my career is actually as a YouTuber, and you know, mm-hmm. five years ago, I never would have imagined that. Yeah. So yeah, I guess now I feel like I'm in a much better place in terms of my career. But yeah, I was always that was a concern of mine for sure. Yeah, I've been really struggling, you know, because I've had a career for a long time and then you've, you know, you kind of advance and then people depend on you and you get a lot more responsibility. And I had to, I I eventually had to tell my boss, I haven't told anybody else, but I had to tell my boss just to help kind of plan an exit plan. And, but it's so hard because, you know, there's these things you want to do um, on, on one side, but you know, you can't take them on because you'll have to, you know, cut the lines later. So yeah, it's just exactly. it's really a struggle internally. Yeah. Um, so you got the boat, you took off. Uh, what was the first year like? Uh, a lot of people say, you know, you don't really settle into your, the cruising lifestyle that's right for you. It takes some time to figure out what that is. Um, and I think you said in one of your blogs that settling in was uh, full of ups and downs. Can you share more about that? Yeah, I, it was definitely full of ups and downs. I would say that that first, I would extend it to the first 18 months was a really tumultuous time. And it was difficult because we, I mean, and a lot of people fall into this trap. Um, we're definitely not alone, but you know, when you're sitting in your flat or wherever, um, kind of planning this life and, you know, you're having to get up and go to work every day and you're, you're you know, kind of consoling yourself by planning out this this amazing sailing adventure that you're going right. to have at some point soon, then you kind of leave 
well, we certainly left already with a fairly solid plan. And we left the UK in May uh, in 2000, oh God, I think it was 15. And we had already signed up to do the ARC, which is the Atlantic mm-hmm. Rally for Cruisers, um, that November. So we knew that we had to to get from the UK down to the Canary Islands in, I guess it was about six months, maybe mm-hmm. less than six months, five months. And then obviously we would be in the Caribbean by mid-December, I think. And then our plan was to, to continue sailing in the Caribbean. And so we were very much tied to that timeline both because we had already paid mm-hmm, committed to yeah yeah exactly to the to the rally but also we were we were kind of committed from a kind of um you know mental point of view mm-hmm. as well and i think that that timeline putting ourselves on that timeline really put us under a lot of pressure because mm. we weren't used to cruising we were used to being on our boat more like in terms of having holidays on our boat we would um, you know, spend a week or two on the boat cruising around kind of before we, we set off. Um, however, this was the first time that we were actually cruising properly. And we kind of had this unrealistic uh, view of how tiring it would be, of how realistic that plan was in terms of kind of the amount of, um, I guess, like the number of miles that we would have to right. do in such a short space of time. And we found it actually really exhausting physically, but also like emotionally. It was it was tiring, um, always being on the go, and not only that, not only the sailing itself, but settling into our roles. It was a challenge emotionally and also physically because we were sailing so much, but also we were settling into these new roles on mm-hmm. the boat. So Nick was suddenly the skipper, and I was suddenly, you know, his kind of subordinate, which obviously in in land life was it's not different. dynamic at all. Right. Yeah, it was completely different. And so, and as I said, Nick was quite um, stressed out by the the responsibility, the, the kind of newfound responsibility that he had being a skipper on this boat. And I probably didn't help matters at all because I hadn't upskilled myself particularly to, to any particular extent by this point. So even though I could sail the boat, I wasn't nearly as competent as I probably should have been. And that was very much my error. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we both felt quite stressed actually. Um, and we we're also spending more money than we thought we had. It was more mm. expensive than we thought it was going to be. So there were several things that were stressing us out. And then we had, obviously for the first six months, we had this Atlantic crossing kind of looming mm-hmm. and that was a real unknown. So yeah, by the time we got to the Caribbean, we Nick really needed a break, not from the boat and sailing, but just to slow down and just spend like a week in an anchorage, just mm-hmm. chilling, and then move to the next one and just chill. However, obviously, now we had hurricane season. Hurricane season, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we did have to do some planning um, to get out of the hurricane zone uh, by June. And so, yeah, that was that was another. Suddenly, you know, we we're faced with this other kind of deadline that we had to be out by, and uh, that was also, you know, a real source of stress. So, and what we ended up doing was we got to Antigua, and we got to Antigua, I think, in March or April, maybe, and uh, we ended up just staying in Antigua until the hurricane season, and then we hauled out for hurricane season, and that's what we ended up doing, even though that wasn't our original plan. But we got to the point where we just said, you know what, we just need to just stop and just enjoy being on the boat at anchor you know we've got friends here we could just chill and at that point where we like decided that we really needed to reassess our 
um, our plans and how fast we were going and our, I guess, itinerary and our, our cruising plans. At that point, we kind of, you know, took a step back and said, you know what, this isn't realistic. We need to mm-hmm. just take it one step at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time. Obviously, you have to have an overarching plan because of, you know, weather considerations, etc. But we kind of, I think at that point realized what was realistic for us mm-hmm. and people go at, at different paces. Like we are friends with people who did a circumnavigation in like 18 months and that would totally stress us out, mm-hmm. but they loved it. They just, you know, they just said they wouldn't have done it any other way. So, you know, it really just depends on on what suits you, I think. But yeah, that first 18 months was a real period of settling in um, to the new lifestyle for sure. Mm-hmm. What initially were the biggest areas of conflict between the two of you that you had to work through? You talked a little bit about the, um, the sailing piece of it. Um, anything else you feel comfortable sharing? Well, I personally, um, got very, uh, I found it really difficult to work out what my role on the boat was Mm -hmm. because as I said, and I take responsibility for this, I hadn't taken a huge interest in sailing, definitely not in any kind of boat maintenance or anything like that. So I didn't really, I couldn't really, I suddenly realised I couldn't actually really contribute to the lifestyle particularly, um, which was a bit of a shock to me because I I hadn't really, as I said, I was very immersed in my life in London. Even though we had this going on in the background, I was Mm -hmm. still, you know, what it's like when you're getting up, you're working like 50 hour weeks. Whenever you're not working, you're with your mates, you know, Mm -hmm. it just felt like, it was something that I was very actively planning, but I didn't appreciate the kind of day-to-day um, realities of being on the boat. And as I said, I just felt like I didn't quite know what my role was because Nick was such an expert at so much. You know, he's mm-hmm. a fantastic sailor. He's amazing at problem solving, at, you know, any kind of mechanical issue or anything along that, those lines. He is really really good at at working out and I didn't know the first thing I mean you know I wouldn't know one end of an engine from the other like and Mm -hmm. I still don't to be perfectly honest so I didn't really that I think that was a major source of um conflict because I would have to you know he'd say look you know I've been I don't know like doing all this boat maintenance all day and you know maybe you could cook dinner and clean and I'll be like <laughs> who do you think you're talking to <laughs> I, never cooked I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's such a weird thing yeah. um yeah and and they you know my my husband for instance he's the same thing <coughs> he'll just do something quicker than he can explain it to me and I'm like but if you don't explain it to me I don't know how to help you you know, and so the next thing you know, you're down in the galley making <laughs> better sandwiches, you know, so it's this weird, yeah, exactly. you know, and I ended, I ended up just going on an offshore passage um, with a different boat, you know, just, just so that I could be forced to learn stuff from other people even um, that was helpful because then I felt like, okay, now I'm, cause I think he, I think he would just want to do stuff himself. It'd just be easier and quicker. And I'm like, you know, if I don't ever learn, I can't be helpful. It's a weird, and so each of us has to figure out how to communicate better, you know? That's what Yeah, I, totally. I, I, I totally agree. So um, what advice would you give other women as they start thinking about this transition uh, to live aboard sailing or a live aboard lifestyle? What, what tips would you give them? 
Yeah, well, I think that this is a matter of like do as I say, not do as I do. And I would definitely um, say learn from my mistakes because, as I said, one of my biggest regrets was that I didn't take more ownership over my own skill <clears throat> skill set and um, knowledge before before we left. So I think that you know, making sure that you are comfortable on the boat, that you're safe on the boat, and that you have enough knowledge to contribute to the lifestyle in some way. And luckily, you know, Nick, um, for whatever reason, he's, he's amazing at so many things, but navigating is one area that he just doesn't seem to be, you know, as um, good as, as, as I am. Mm-hmm. So I was able to do a lot of the planning, a lot of the navigation. Um, and so that was kind of the way that I started to contribute. And That's then great. obviously, yeah, and then as, as I learned more, then I was able obviously to take on more and more responsibility. And now I feel like I'm we're definitely not equal on board because he, as I said, is so, is such a talented sailor and um, has so much knowledge that I, I would just never have because I don't have, I'm not interested in learning how to maintain the engine. I'm not interested in learning how to, mm-hmm. I don't even know, like, you know, uh, service the water maker or whatever, you know, there's so much stuff that I just have no interest in doing. And realistically, I'm never going to do that, you know, and mm-hmm. as I think you mentioned before, your husband, he has maybe the same point that Nick sometimes has which is why would I teach you to service the engine if you have no interest in doing it realistically you're Mm -hmm. never going to have to do it by yourself because you know it's something that I will always be happy to do Mm -hmm. um yeah unless you're going to own your own boat and you know do this without me then you probably don't need to know like we both don't need to have that Mm -hmm. skill Mm -hmm. so I guess it's just about deciding realistically what you are good at and what you what kind of area you want to pursue in terms of your knowledge and your um, your experience, and and just going for it and making yourself an expert in whatever it is that you've you've decided on. And um, obviously, you know that that could be a conversation with your partner as well. Mm-hmm. You know what responsibilities like how should we divide our responsibilities? But um, yeah, I would definitely say before setting off, make sure that you feel that you can confidently contribute some way to the lifestyle mm-hmm. for sure. And, you know, that looks that looks different with different couples as well. Like if you have a few kids that you're homeschooling, then I think that that is a very different dynamic. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's totally different. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that it just depends on the couple and, and what they're comfortable with. Yeah, we're, we're going through the, um, well, we were supposed to go through this medical training courses. They all got canceled because of COVID now um, and right. pushed off. But certainly your paramedic, background is is a huge value add I would think yeah well that was one area that I didn't have to worry about too yeah much. You know, I mean and that's huge that I, was like, oh, I mean I know this yeah. the medical issues are really the number you know that's the number one thing I worry about right um, and I can totally that that I yeah I, with. I mean yes you're right I was lucky I mean my entire field of expertise was out of hospital medicine that's like mm-hmm. literally all I know so yeah I was I was never worried about that side of things yeah that's um, a big Nick deal being yeah. yeah being a dentist you know he obviously um you know has a lot of knowledge in terms of drugs and you know mm-hmm. pain relief and that kind of stuff as well and obviously dentistry so mm-hmm. um yeah no that was one area that we were kind of okay with yeah good Cool. So where can people find you online if, if they're not familiar with you yet? Yep. So we have um, a YouTube channel uh, called Sailing Ruby Rose. Ruby Rose is the name of our boat. Um, so yeah, you could just go ahead and Google Sailing Ruby Rose and 
YouTube will come up, our website will come up. Um, we've also started a podcast called The Boat Life. Um, so that may come up as well. Otherwise, Very you cool. can find that on um, yeah, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And maybe we'll see you in La Rochelle when the world opens back up for business. Oh, that would be amazing. We should definitely <laughs> mind catch up. That would be awesome. Great. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, like, or share with another covert castaway. Fair winds for now.